Today's scripture is out of Romans 4, verses 1 through 12. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised, who are not only circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Well, good morning. I was telling first service, I just love to be together in the Lord. I love to be able to come together and enjoy God's Word and, and truly knowing that the Holy Spirit is ministering to us through His Word, that He uh, will not let it fall void, won't let it fall to the ground. And so we praise God for that. Warren Buffett, who some of you know, was, uh, is one of the wealthiest men in the world, and in 2006 he was the second wealthiest man in the world. And at that time, he had $44 billion. And he chose to give away 85% of his $44 billion to five different charitable groups. And the, the newspaper reporters came to him and said, you know, why are you doing this and what's this all about? And his response to them is, well, you know, there's many ways... There's many ways to get to heaven, but this is one of the greatest ways. Oh, the boast of man and what we think we can accomplish before a holy God. And what Paul has been doing in chapter 3 and as we head into chapter 4 is bringing us to a place and to a question of who can boast Who can truly boast before Almighty God? Who can stand in His presence and make any claims that it was because of what they've done that it got them there? I want to look back with you at Romans chapter 3, and then also we'll head into 4 this morning, and think of these questions, who can boast? Verse 23 of chapter 3 says, We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We truly are all sinners before God. Each and every one of us, doesn't matter our circumstance, our situation in life. But then he says this, but all of us, all of us now are justified, 
That means to be declared not guilty. Remember that? The judge stands and he says, you're not guilty. And, and you have come before me with all of this guilt of sin, and I declare you not guilty. Not only that, it's not on your record anymore. Who can boast? Did you accomplish that? You are justified. You are declared not guilty. And you are given that freely. There is no cost to you. You do not pay God off. There's no catch. You're justified freely by grace, by this free gift that we do not deserve. And he says that has come about through the redemption of his son, Jesus Christ. That has come about through the fact, remember redemption, all these words in, in Romans are kind of these big theological words that we hear over and over again. Redemption, you are bought with a price. You are bought out of the marketplace of slavery and you are redeemed and that price is the blood of my son, Jesus. So who can boast? And my son, Jesus, has come as an atonement. He has come as a covering. He has come as the scapegoat. Abraham and Isaac up on the mountain about ready to sacrifice his son. There needed to be a payment and here's the scapegoat. Instead of Isaac, I provided a way. Who can boast? God has given us salvation. He has given us life with him eternally. Because of belief and belief alone in his son, Jesus Christ. That we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin, which we are all sinners that we believe that he rose again and we believe that he offers life to each and every one of us who would say, Lord, I humbly come before you. Take my sin, take my life. Here I am. Who can boast about such things? Who can boast in light of a God who is just? Look what Romans 3 says. He says, listen, I had my son die on the cross for you, verse 26, and he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time. Because in his forbearance, that means his long-suffering and his patience, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. And he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ Jesus. So where then is the boasting? Who can boast in light of a God who is just? You see what he did? He said, listen, I had to put my son on the cross as a testimony to the world. I didn't forget all of the sin that happened. I didn't, I didn't take light of it. All the sin that preceded the time of my son. It's not like, oh well... If I was a just God and I didn't have patience, then guess what? The flood would come again. The consequence of our sin always is death without a Savior. Spiritual death. And he says, I had it to make it known through my son Jesus that the world would have testimony that here on the cross, all the sins past, all the sins now, all the sins in the future have been wiped clean because of the cross. I'm a just God. 
There has to be consequence for sin. There has to be payment for sin. And I have taken care of it here. Will you believe in my son, Jesus? And it is by believing in him that we are justified, that we are declared not guilty, that we become righteous. And what does that mean again? That we have worth. We have right standing. We have value in the presence of holy God. And he says, come into my loving arms. I receive you now because of your belief in my son, Jesus. I took care of it. All God, nothing from us. And that's what the scriptures keep getting to. We keep trying to say there's something we can do. There's something that we can offer to God. There's more that we can do to heal ourselves. There's all these self-help books to say, here's the way to make life work. The great spiritual leader, Yoko Ono, (laughs) had this to say. 2006, she pulled a full-page ad in the New York Times, which I'm sure costs quite a bit, and a call to all of humanity on on a day of remembrance of of her husband, John Lennon. And she says this, I call December 8th to be a day of global day of healing to the world. And here the Messiah, Yoko Ono, says, one day we will be able to say in all of our boasting, we will be able to say that we healed ourselves. And Yoko Ono promised, and by healing ourselves, we have healed the world. Oh, the boast of man. And my question to Yoko Ono is, and how in the world are we going to do that, Yoko? How are we going to heal ourselves? Honestly, what, what are we going to do enough to heal ourselves? We are broken sinners in need of a Savior. Our lives are covered in guilt and shame and the weight of sin. And unless we give our lives to Christ, that sin remains. Scriptures say it's by His stripes alone that we are healed, by His wounds on the cross alone that we are healed. Oh, the boast of man, that somehow we can stand in righteousness before a holy God. Somehow we can do enough to get there. Somehow my spiritual life and all of my works will find me more favor in the presence of Almighty God. And what Paul is trying to teach us in the book of Romans is no. It is only by faith in Jesus Christ alone that we are justified, that we have righteousness before God. And that is it. There's nothing we bring to the table. Nothing. The only thing, the only thing we bring or offer is our hand out to God's reaching down and saying, will you receive me? That's the only thing. Belief. And so you shall be saved, the scripture says. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. You shall be saved. It doesn't add on a list of good works that you need to do. Where is the boasting? Paul ends up chapter 3 and and 
you know, the, the Jews who were becoming Christians, they were struggling because it was like, well, wait a second, what about the law? Do we, do we just throw out the law? I mean, all that we've known, all of Judaism and all we've grown up in, do we just throw that out? What about it? I mean, is the law of no importance anymore? And he says this at the end of chapter 3. Listen, it's not based, your salvation, your, your life in Christ, is not based on observing the law, no, but that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified, again, declared not guilty, by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not God of the Gentiles as well? Yes, he's the God of the Gentiles as well. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised as well through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? He says, not at all, by no means. No, we don't nullify it. Rather, we uphold the law. The law comes and it gives us truth about who we are as sinners. The law gives us the character of God and how he wants us to live. The law has always led us to a realization of who we are. Sinners in need of a Savior. We are broken individuals. It shows us our need for Him, the Messiah. And as we understand the way of salvation through faith, we grasp the faith of our Jewish ancestors who lived by faith even before the law was given who lived in obedience to God, who lived by living out the law, yet having faith in God. It doesn't wipe out the Old Testament and all the the believers in God who came before. It completes this love story, doesn't it? I am showing you from the beginning of time my, my life to reach out to mankind. This is my plan of salvation from the beginning of time. As Moses, as I delivered him out, and I led all of those ancestors that you follow, Abraham, we're going to talk about. And as you follow them and look to them, I've been showing my plan of salvation from the beginning. It doesn't get rid of the law at all. It upholds it. It brings us to that place of Savior, Jesus Christ. No, we don't throw it out. But now we do not live under this, this sense of obligation or, or this sense of, of I have to. We live out of a sense of love for Jesus Christ and obedience only because we want to obey out of his radical love for us. I'm compelled. I owe him my life. And so I live in obedience. To Jesus Christ. We are justified by faith and faith alone. We are brought in now, righteousness from God has come, and that righteousness is this new relationship with Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? What Paul is trying to do here is he ends up bringing us into chapter 4. Again, that we don't work out of fear or obligation, but out of love and freedom. Remember Jesus says, he says, if you love me, 
And I know you do. If you love me, I want you to obey my commands. Because that's life. I don't give you scripture and the way to live life to, to put a thumb on you. I give it to you because it's life. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. And so Paul is developing this argument. He's saying you have right standing, you have favor in the presence of God. Because of all that he has done, not us, all that he has done to bring about a way of salvation for us who need a Savior. Sin wiped clean once and for all. Gift of salvation freely offered to you. Gift of grace. And by faith, receiving that beautiful gift. This is the only way into the presence of loving God. Who can boast? What do we add? What do we think we bring? And so he says, listen, I want to develop this a little further. Let's look at Father Abraham. Of all people we're to look to who lived as one who is justified by faith, let's look at Abraham and what he understood about this. Abraham's the big daddy. I mean, he's the go-to guy. You, you, you talk about Abraham and you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Everybody looks to Abraham for the way it's meant to be done. And so he says, what is Abraham? What did he have to do with all of this? He says, what did he discover in this matter? In fact, Abraham, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he did have something to boast about. If, in fact, that's the way he was made not guilty. Again, Abraham, he was the guy who said, yeah, I'm going to follow God. He's the guy who saw the stars and and he was obedient. He was a man of action. He had a good resume of all that he had done that were good things in God, that were in obedience to the Savior to God. If, in fact, he had reason to boast, the boast could be before men, definitely. And that's where a lot of times we end up boasting. Hey, look at what I've done. Look at my spiritual life. Look at the things I've accomplished. If I want to boast, look at all this. And we sort of want people to see what we're doing spiritually, don't we? I think that's our flesh that we wrestle with. But what Abraham did is he came to a point finally where he said, you know what? I have no place to boast. And what Paul is saying, if indeed he have a place and he doesn't, he boasts before men, but not before God. Nobody can stand before God and say, this is what I brought to the table. This is what I have to offer you. The only thing we offer is our lives and we say, dear God, here it is the mess that it is, and thank you for forgiving me. What happened with Abraham is that he discovered, verse 3, the nature of God. He discovered what salvation looked like. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
Do you remember in Genesis 15? Genesis 15, Abraham gets to hang out with God. How cool is that? And, and Abraham, and God's right here, and, and God's going, Hey, Abraham, I want you to look up at the stars. Just take a look. I made all that. It was pretty fun to create. He says, even, even if you could count all of those stars, even if you could count them, they won't, they won't, the, your, your, your descendants will surpass them in unbelievable amounts. And it says, and Abraham believed. And you go, but wait a second. He looked at the stars and he believed? What, what happened? There's more, isn't there? There must have been something going on in this conversation with God and Abraham. I think it's like when Paul, you know, he's on the road to Damascus, and, and all of a sudden the Lord comes upon him, and he says, I can't, even, I can't even speak about all that took place between me and God, me and Jesus. And I think some of that took place between Abraham and, and God. And the Scriptures give us a little indication of what that was, and I love... I love how it develops, how God is always teaching us about who He is. Remember Romans keeps saying, hey, no one, no one can say they don't know the truth about God because He teaches everybody. He teaches them in their spirit. He teaches them in their dreams. He teaches them about who He is as Savior. Holy Spirit is, is alive and active, people. Didn't stop at Pentecost. He's ministering to people's souls, reminding them of who Jesus Christ is. And God does this, I think, with Abraham. Galatians 3, 16 through 19. The promises were spoken to Abraham and his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Jesus Christ. I spoke about my son, Jesus, to you, Abraham, not only about your descendants, but to the seed that was coming, and his name is Christ. And what I mean is this, Galatians teaches us, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. You see what he's saying in Galatians? He's saying, listen, I set up a covenant. I had Abraham cut all these animals in half. And we walked down the middle and covenant together. And it was a reminder that this blood, this blood is the payment. And so shall it be this death if I do not keep my promise to you that I make a covenant. I will be your God. You're my people. I will have descendants that will come from you, Abraham. I keep my covenant. He says the law didn't set aside that promise. You see, the law came in, ways of following God came in, and, and way too many kept adding to the list. And it's good to be obedient to God. We want to be obedient to God. He says, that doesn't set aside, 430 years later, it doesn't set aside that covenant I made with Abraham, Genesis 17. It doesn't take it away. I stood with Abraham. I set it up. It doesn't null and void all that was taking place with the promise. We do not live by the law. If the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise I made. 
My seed is coming. Jesus Christ. It doesn't depend on the promise if I follow the law. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through the promise. You know, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and, and, and to the Jews in John chapter 8, and he said this. He said, of, he says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day, me coming, being here, that the seed had finally come, and he saw it and he was glad. God and Abraham had some sweet time of fellowship together. And as God laid out the story of who his son was to be, I think Abraham believed. It was going to be a long way down the line, but he believed in God's plan of salvation from the beginning and that somehow God was going to use him in the middle of it all. All glory to God, not to Abraham. And I love this in James 2. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And listen to this. And he was called God's friend. Isn't that what Jesus says you and I are? As ones who put our faith in him, we are his friends. God said that to Abraham. You're my friend. We have relationship together, Almighty God, and you, sinner. And Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness, right standing, value, worth before holy God. You know, again, one of the things that I don't want us to lose sight of, and for those of us who've been raised in Christianity all our life, I don't want us to lose sight of our salvation. Because again, sometimes we go, oh, that's a salvation story, and, and, and that's sweet, and that's nice. Holy God broke through into the hearts of mankind to save them from their sin. That's the good news. One day he's coming back. And sometimes, I know I do, I'm assuming if you're anything like me, sometimes we take that lightly. And sometimes we forget that a world who is broken and lost and has the weight of sin and guilt and shame just heaped upon their shoulders and can't seem to get out of the mud and the muck, and we forget that they need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That he has provided a way, and it's all on him. It's not on us trying to make the right steps, on us making enough effort to get there. But this beautiful new relationship with Jesus Christ, we cannot earn it. You see, what happens is, what he says here, what he says here in Romans 4, is that we're trying to buy, buy our salvation. We're trying to somehow work a deal with God. Look what he says, verse 4. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. You see what he's saying is, the one who works, he expects to get, to get paid back for his work. That's an obligation, of course. And so we, we do that sometimes with God. 
We, we do all these good works and we do all these things that, that look so good and, and look at these steps I'm taking and, and look at all my ministry and, and look, at, look at how I, 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 I love the poor. Look at all that I've done. So God, now you owe me my pay. That's what the passage is saying. An obligation unto God, he owes you nothing. But he's given the free gift of life if you would receive him. Believe upon him. Yet we keep trying to say somehow, I do it and you owe me, God, for all of my great spirituality. Look at all I have done for you, O Lord. And so now it's payback time. He says, no, no, no. It's by faith alone. And look at 7 through Psalm 32. It's the Psalm of David. Blessed are, are those whose transgressions are wiped out, who are cleaned, who are forgiven. The sins are covered. And he's speaking of, of, of Abraham as well as of David. Blessed is the man whose sins are not counted against him because the reality is that sin leads to death. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. I told you, John 8 says, that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. You will die in your sins. But now a righteousness from God has come, a way of salvation, and blessed is the man whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man who receives the gift. Who God is like you that pardons our sin and forgives our transgressions, Micah says. The remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. And if I boast in anything... I boast in the Lord who is the forgiver of my sins. I boast in the fact that I have believed in the one that he is, says who he is. And I go, it's all God. That's the only thing I can boast in. All I did was say yes. I boast in all of him. Because these works, this works righteousness that we keep trying to do, does not get us there. You know, Jesus is real serious when he says in Matthew 7, hey, but wait, Lord, you know, look at all we did. We fed the poor, and, and didn't, we, didn't we cast out demons, and didn't we profess you, and, and didn't we do all these things? He says, you know what, I don't know you. You keep trying to play spirituality. You keep trying to, trying to do religiosity and, and have religion and, and all of these ritual and you keep trying to make these, these efforts, and you, you're playing, again, Christianity, I don't know you, because God looks right at our heart, right at our heart, and it is by faith alone that we are justified. So he's saying, stop playing the game, and would you receive the gift? And then he starts talking about circumcision, and that was the way, that was the sign, that was the seal that showed that we are connected to God. And so what started to happen was, is people were saying, listen, I'm circumcised, therefore I have an avenue in. 
I've made it. I, I took those steps. And what happens is anything that we try to point to that says, look at what I've done, becomes self-righteousness. I obtain right standing before God because of myself. And in today's life, it's baptism. Listen, you must be baptized in order to be saved. I've had guys knocking on my door telling me this. Not according to the Scriptures. What Paul is saying in his argument is, listen, was, Paul, was Abraham circumcised before? Was he declared righteous because of his circumcision? He says, no, no, no. He was declared righteous way before he was circumcised, way before baptism. You know, it wasn't until actually 14 years later that the circumcision was set into place. And at that point, he said, okay, I want to be obedient to God. This is what he's called me to do. It's not an issue of obedience. It's an issue of saying, look what I did to get right standing with God. It's an issue when people say, and you must be baptized in order to have salvation. That's not true. We baptize because Jesus has said, I want you to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because it shows of your connection with me. And honestly, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should be baptized. It's an act of obedience. It's not to save you, but it's for you to say, I get baptized today, I boast only in God, and I want the world to know that it's because God saved me. And so I want you to know as I, as I go in obedience and I'm baptized as a sign, as a covenant with the Lord. So be baptized if you haven't, truly. That's not legalism. That's just the Spirit working on you saying it's time to be baptized. But it's not about you. It's all glory to God. All glory to God. It's all that he has done. Everything that we do, we say unto God. The Senegal team goes, going, Lord God, use me through the power of your Holy Spirit to minister to these people. That's what we call new covenant life. 2 Corinthians. Where Paul says, I cannot, I cannot claim competency in anything of myself. There's nothing that I do in which I... It has any spiritual value, worth. It, all of it, all of it comes from God because God is competent. I'm this broken vessel so that this all-surpassing power of God might shine through Kristen when she's ministering to those kids in Senegal. Boy, if they come back and say, look at all that we did. No, it's all glory to God. All glory to God. He alone is our salvation. He alone makes us in right standing. And it all comes through our belief in Jesus Christ as Son that's counted to righteousness. Abraham knew it. Paul knew it. And so he speaks it for us. Stop trying to work so hard. Live in obedience because of your love for Christ. It is by faith and faith alone that we are justified before holy God. Father, we need you. And Father, we thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you so much for your Son. 
And Lord, we don't even have words. Forgive us for, for taking lightly sometimes just the payment of your son, Jesus Christ, that you redeemed us out of this pit, that you give us life as we believe upon you. And I pray, Father, right now that, that you're ministering to souls in here who are, have been looking, who have been longing for you. Through your Holy Spirit, would you minister to them? Would you speak to their hearts? That they would open their lives, their heart to you and receive you as Lord and Savior. May they realize how much you love them. May we realize, may all of us realize how much we are forgiven. And indeed, all glory to you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Father. Amen.